Welcome to Kashmir's on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir's Magazine. And this week is a very special week where we're being broadcasting live. And uh, over the internet, you can see this uh, live streaming of video of uh, our presentation tonight. So if you call in, if you would like to communicate with us, you'll be heard and not be seen. I'll be seen. Or you can be heard over the Internet. And uh, it's a live broadcast that you can see at your convenience when you have a chance over jrootradio.com. Other ways to listen to us over the uh, telephone at 718-506-9099. Or if you have an app. The JRoot app, you can hear us directly that way. Whatever way you're listening to us tonight, you'll be able to see us if you if you want over your internet site at jrootradio.com. And tonight we're going to discuss a number of issues that are very relevant and, and current, but I'm going to give an opportunity to all of our listeners to call in with their conscious issues, whether it's a comment, a suggestion, a question, uh, whatever you're interested in talking about relating to Kashrus in general, you can call us at 718-683-5858, and we'll put you right through. So that's one thing you can do is call us at 718-683-5858. Or you can text us at 347-927-8398. You can text at 347-927-8398. Or you can call us. 718-683-5858. And one of the things that I'd like to take up today is about Kosher Fest. I know that the last week I mentioned, I probably jumped the gun, I mentioned that I could try to get tickets for people, uh, VIP tickets, it wouldn't cost them any money. And the truth is I could have done it, but it could only be, I found out later on, it was only for people who are in the kosher food tray. I did get a few people on, uh, a few pages that we had, and I returned all the emails, and I'm sorry if I couldn't get you a, uh, a pass to get to Kosher Fest. It's worth going if you are in the food business. Uh, just general interest. I don't know if there's anything that uh, would interest anybody there, but uh, you could definitely um, take advantage of it. For the next two days, Kosher Fest is at the Meadowlands, and uh, if you're interested in details, just go to kosherfest.com. And all the information is there. We have a caller. Okay, go ahead. You're on Kashmir's on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, thank you. Um, okay, you're on the I, air. Yeah, I know this might be a little old question, but I just want to clarify. My, my wife, first, thank you, appreciate it. My wife um, went to buy a new sink, and she said, "How's the filter going to fit on?" She said that that a person said that you don't point to some place you don't need a filter. Oh, you want to know about a filter? Yeah. Okay. So the the, the uh, filter on the sink, uh, I mean, or under the sink, or the whole house filter, whatever it is, the question is there are small copepods in our water. There's no question there are copepods. Whether mm-hmm. this potsek or that potsek is dealing with the halacha of whether or not I have to filter them out, which creates issues even for Shabbos, etc. But as far as... Uh, whether or not there are copepods, that you'll see on your, when you get the water bill next time, they send you a little report 
on the water in New York City, and they talk about copepods in that. There's no question there's copepods in our water system, and the question is how many. So this work was done, and they found out that it is a significant amount and uh, that it is not, uh, uh, in, that you probably have what you call muksak batoiloi. And then they did experimentations and tried to see if the water uh, was cooked, whether they would disintegrate or dissolve or whatever, and they didn't. So the issue was a real issue if you hold that copepods are authors to eat. Now, how in the world could they be kosher to eat? They're not kosher animals or whatever they're called, they're, they're crustaceans. Uh, so the, the answer to that is the question of where they come from. The ones that we see in the water, where do they come from? So there are opinions that they're coming from water, that halakhically, these kofads are mutter. They uh, either, they, they grew inside the... Uh, the water system and they weren't uh, in, in, in the way that they could become usher. But some things that grow in certain, uh, the Pesach and the Torah described it, that certain waters you could have bugs in there and they are kosher bugs. Just like in, uh, you have in, uh, uh, in cheese, you could have kosher maggots or kosher bugs in there. There are things that, that you would eat, you would see it in bug and you're allowed to eat it. If it didn't, uh, wasn't Pirish, etc. So it depends upon the waters. The Torah talks about it. Now, the machlaikas that exists is whether or not our the copepods that we're seeing in the water come from the reservoirs or they come from later on in the course of the water. And uh, maybe some people will say that they're very tiny and hard to see. It's not really true. Uh, the people who are in the conscious field examine the waters and they can see whether the filter is being used or not. And they can see the copepods. Uh, if you collect a bunch of copepods and you shake them up, it looks like a little snow in there. Definitely can see them. And uh, the first copepods that we found out about in America, um, they basically were from my house. Not that we got it from our water, but that the person who found it brought it over to, to me to see. And we were discussing it. And then eventually uh, we, we sent through different sources. And finally, he he realized that it's coming from the water. We thought it was coming from vegetables. Okay? I don't know if he's there anymore. Yeah, I'm okay. So, yeah. Okay, so I, I don't know if I helped you, but that's it. Yeah. The makhloik is a poiskin. What am I going to tell you? Uh, many. Well, there definitely are. Everything, there definitely are these bugs in the water. There are definitely the bugs in the water. Now, huh. I've heard recently people saying that in certain parts of New York, they claim that there's no more uh, of the copepods they're examining it no problem. I don't know the methods that are being used. I don't know where the what is being taken from. It makes a difference what's on the block, whether there's apartment houses or not, has it makes a difference for uh, the amount of uh, copepods that would be found. So uh, again, I don't think that anyone says there's no copepods in the water. I doubt it's possible because the New York City talks about it. The DEP. Question is what excluded. Excuse me? Is upstate excluded? Yes. Uh, it doesn't seem to be anything but the five boroughs of New York that we have concerned because we don't filter our water. I think the uh -huh. other communities do filter their water. Okay? Thank uh -huh. you very much Thank for you. the call. Thank you. Okay. So if you'd like to reach us, you see we're available, not just to talk about tiny insects, but other things as well. 
718-683-5858, or you can text us uh, to uh, 347-927-8398. So one of the things that I want to talk about tonight was about Kosher Fest, and I'll explain to you that we did talk about this at length last year, and uh, it's important to review quickly some of the issues that exist at Kosher Fest, because if you do go, there are things that you should know in advance. Number one, uh, Kosher Fest is, is not run by a Jewish company. It's run by a non-Jewish company, diversified business, and uh, it's, it's not uh, under Hashkocha, per se, but they do have a mashkiach who uh, takes an interest in all of the all of these uh, the uh, the booths that have food in them. And uh, in order to be in Kosher Fest, you have if you have food, you have to list yourself as what food you're carrying, which which hashkocha there is on it. And uh, yes, they would technically could reject somebody. But in reality, it's almost impossible to do that. Once they're, they've signed a contract, you wouldn't be able to get out of it very easily. So uh, there is, can't be a total control on what's the, which hashkachas are being involved. When the food is in there, brought in there, so there are endless numbers of things that can go wrong. Um, imagine, for example, uh, equipment. You're heating something up. The equipment is being brought in. Uh, who's going to guarantee that that equipment is kosher? You could, somebody could take used equipment. They could take it from a non-kosher source. They could they could uh, be um, buy something that's used. You don't know what you're getting when somebody brings it in. That's something that the uh, that the hashkocha tries to take care of at kosher fest, but it's not something that uh, doesn't uh, you know doesn't raise a few eyebrows. Best thing, of course, is to only use only eat things from reputable. Uh, companies that you know that have proper hashkocha and that are run by from people, and this way you're guaranteed. But there is a mashgiach who walks around the entire uh, exhibit area of hundreds of booths, and he does watch to see, to the best of his ability, that nothing goes wrong. But it's not uh, it's not something that we could be guaranteed. A from person should be more serious and more concerned than just uh, saying that they're doing the best they can. Something that I think uh, if anyone would ask, a rov, whatever it is, to, to eat from such a, a setup, they would say you have to use your seichel, you have to see who is running the booth, you have to see if the company is something that has a proper hashkocha that you're satisfied with, and only then should you use the, uh, should you eat the food there. And also you have to be careful about milkers and fleishiks, because sometimes companies have both milkers and fleishiks, or uh, they have paraben meat, paraben milchiks. They may have, uh, you know, uh, uh, milchiks, uh, fleishiks right next to booths, right next to each other. So definitely a person needs to use his own seichel when he goes to such a place for, uh, for a program. So, Rabbi, it's not just a free food for just taking a test. It, it really, people shouldn't be going there for taste. <laughs> I mean, you want something, it, it's not worth the effort to go there to eat to taste something. But but if you're in the food business, it's definitely where uh, business is done in culture food. It's a very major uh, show for buying. It's a buyer show. It's stressed only for buyers, and buyers means uh, 
example, the merchants that sell you the foods that you buy in the supermarkets. It means restaurants. It's uh, many, many different places that are handling food. They're going there to buy. And it's very interesting if you stand around a little bit and see there's, there are quite a few uh, people who, uh, you know, who come from very interesting backgrounds, buying very interesting foods. And what I'm always interested in the back is you see some people who are obviously not religious or not Jewish. Sometimes they're from other countries, you know, from China, Japan, whatever it is. And you see them with an interest in kosher food because that is part of their business. They may be uh, a non-Jewish person running a Chinese restaurant. They may be uh, working in a, uh, in a home care facility and they, uh, they're the dietitian. Whatever they're there for, it's a very interesting thing to watch. And of course, uh, many people uh, live from this. This is their panasa for the whole year. Really, they're pushing now Pesach, if you want to know the truth. Pesach is very, very big over there. There's a lot of Pesach foods there because now is the time to set up the buying for Pesach. We don't think of it in that regard, but if you're in the food business, definitely it's Pesach season. So that's, uh, that's something you should know. Now, at the Kosher Fest this year, we have, uh, it's the fourth annual uh, Mashkiach of the Year award that we're giving out. We have a 15-minute slot at Kosher Fest, and we make a presentation to a certain particular Mashkiach. And this year, the Mashkiach is someone who came from out of, out of this area. We had to travel in by airplane, and uh, we've had inquiries from people it could have been easily from out of the country. This is somebody in the country, but very often we get people from out of the country who uh, their hashkach has applied for us to uh, to judge whether they could whether they should win the the mashgiach of the year award. And there is a st we give a thousand dollars to the mashgiach of the year. That uh, that that money is really not my money. It's the sponsor's money. We have number of sponsors for um, the uh, Mashkiach of the Year Award. And maybe a little more about that maybe the next time we talk about it, maybe when we have the Mashkiach of the Year on the show. I don't know if it'll be live, I don't know if it'll be, um, live it'll be probably, but uh, I don't know if it'll be on a video or not. Anyway, we the Mashkiach of the Year is somebody that we spent a lot of time choosing. It's not a simple thing. It, this year, I found it very, very difficult. Personally, I found it more difficult than I think any year before. It was our fourth year doing it. And I think the reason was, you know, it's hard to compare apples and pears. So the type of person that is a certain type of mashkiach, and there's another type of mashkiach, and it's very hard to, in your head, compare the qualities of this one versus the qualities of that one. Like, for example, in the you know, particular case we're talking about now, the person that we chose is uh, somebody who has a uh, little seniority, been around for a while, and who has a very large facility that he's responsible for. And he's the only mashkiach there. And uh, he has people take over for him occasionally, but he is the mashkiach for a very, very large facility. And he has to make up certain uh, protocol and he has to make up a little book in case somebody takes him over, how, what the rules they have to follow. So really, uh, he's, a, he's something more of an administrator, but not 
he is not on top of anybody else. That we have a rule that the, for our mashgiach of the year, we want somebody who is on the ground, somebody who actually has to do the real dirty hashgacha work, which is uh, you know doing things like uh, you know, checking all the vegetables. Maybe sometimes he has to pitch in and help clean up a little bit too. He has to do the real stuff, not be on top of five people who are working underneath him for a staff. That's a different type of that's administrative situation, and we don't want to have that sort of mashgiach. We get a lot of recommendations of that nature. We respond by telling the kashvist organizations that we can't use such a person because we want to give a reward to somebody who is doing the real kashvist work who's a man on the scene, a man who is not in an office making a call, making a visit. Now he's not checking up on different places. He has to be there at sometime 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 latest, and he has to stay there sometimes till 2 o'clock in the morning because they have to get some party out or whatever the deal is. That's the kind of person that we wanted for this award, and we found a very good person. Very, very nice person, highly recommended. And I'm looking forward to giving him his uh, $1,000 check tomorrow. But that will be at Kosher Fest. And if you do go to Kosher Fest tomorrow, at 12.30 is the presentation. It's a 15-minute thing. It's very, very quick. They rush us in and rush us out. We don't have time for anything else. But you'll be able to meet uh, the mashkiach of the year that, that we've chosen and see if you think he is qualified person, hear a little bit from him and about him, and you can meet him in person at Kosher Fest tomorrow. Uh, this next day is the regular day of Kosher Fest, and if you have a chance to go, it's definitely a place where you might want to visit, but uh, I, I tell you, be careful about eating. Use your head, okay? Uh, to remind our listeners, where is it? Okay, it's in the Meadowlands. I don't really know. It's Harmon Center. Uh, you just look for the Meadowlands Exposition Center. You'll find it. But kosherfest.com is where uh, everything is listed. It's not free to get in. I don't remember how much they charge. But uh, if you're in the food business, it's very important. That's, that's Rabbi. It. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the bothering questions, I know that this is the, the million uh, question they already asked about. The stores around us, and I see that uh, I get excuses from a lot of kids and a lot of people that are going to 7-Eleven, to uh, Dunkin' Donuts, and all these places. And this, oh, if I saw my rabbi going over there, why shouldn't I buy? So I, I just want to be clear about it. I know that we spoke about it so many times. Still last week. I, I know, but you know, <laughs> I just, uh, yesterday I met somebody, I said, Listen, what can I do? I saw my rabbis buying it over there. What, 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 uh, why, why shouldn't I take this as, as, as a, a kashrut? Okay? So let, let, let's, just, let's just look at the, the topic itself. You see, in kashrut, there are the uh, black and white issues, and then there are the gray issues. What we're talking now about is a gray issue. Because the black and white issue is like, for example, a shrit. If you would hear that this is not black kosher, you would think twice before eating. That's, that's, that's something we've understood already. If it's Chal Yisrael or not, that's your decision. But if you chose Chal of Yisrael, then anything that's in Chal of Yisrael, it's a black and white issue. You're not going to touch it. 
But when it comes to these kinds of questions, where, it, where, where to draw the line, is there anything really wrong with it? It gets a little sticky. I want to give you a little understanding of that. We have, in, back in the 1950s, when uh, Koch was a little bit different than it is today, people used to read the ingredients. It said vegetable shortening, so it was kosher. Then they told us that wasn't good enough, so you said, I have to say, a pure vegetable shortening. So we found pure, pure vegetable shortening. They said, that's not good enough. You have to say 100% pure vegetable shortening, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Nintendo realized after a while that, that that doesn't guarantee anything either. There's both things in the facility. They have animal and vegetable in the facility. And we, as, as we matured in America, we upgraded the cautious. But there are still people who conduct themselves like back in the 1950s. They say, what could be wrong with it? Look at the ingredients. I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't know. So maybe you don't know what some of these scientific words, but they're probably all made up in a laboratory. They're probably not the really issues. But that's not true. Sometimes they are uh, they're words that you're not familiar with, but they came from animals. And they haven't been nishtana. They still are that animal. Just like, uh, uh, you know, they, Everybody knows about glycerin. Glycerin doesn't uh, look like anything from an animal, but glycerin is directly derived from an animal. Yes, there's, there's kosher glycerin, non-kosher glycerin. But if you're, if you're talking about something uh, of that nature, so you're not necessarily going to get it from the ingredients. Holding tanks, where things were stored in the same holding tanks, these are things that you wouldn't be able to get at all from reading the in ingredients. And that's why today, Conscious has gone much more sophisticated, and that's why we need that kind of sophistication. So when it comes to something like this, bottom line, is it possible that I could go into a store and buy something and it wouldn't be an issue? The answer is maybe yes. But even if it is a yes, the, what we're doing is we're confusing everybody. In, in, in the old days, this is how my Rebbe, of Usher Zimmons at South Florida. He taught that you don't manufacture, you can't manufacture your own Maris Ice. If it's mutter, it's mutter. He told us the following two examples. He said, if you uh, go, you need, uh, if you had a tzarek and you have to go into a, a bathroom on a Shabbos and there's no place nearby and you see a restaurant, you can go into the restaurant on Shabbos to the bathroom. He said, if you need to get a, buy a coffee, in those days we bought coffees in certain places, or you need to take a telephone call or whatever it is, you can go into a Trafer restaurant. So that's how, but I, Marisine, so he said, you don't manufacture your own Marisine. If it's mutter, it's mutter. And that was the way it was back in the 60s and 70s, 80s, whatever it was in the past, past century. But now we're in a different world. We're in a world where kids are confused, like you're saying. Kids need guidelines. They have to see some kind of standardization. They have to see some kind of consistency in their family, in the yeshiva, in the community, and in their own lives. They can't be left to have carers, and they can't get it. They won't be able to understand how to walk into these places. 
you see how quick it is for a kid to pick up uh, an electronic thing and end up with it, I'll say on a computer and end up with all kinds of schmutz. So the same thing happens if you could walk into a store and you could buy things there. It's so easy to confuse yourself into what you buy. And this store I could eat, this store I could eat that, that store I could eat this, this store that. I'm still confused. And the truth is, they are confused. So we are not doing them the justice. And there are a lot of boys in yeshivas, and girls in yeshivas, that are not sophisticated enough to hop the differences between these different hashkafas uh, and, and, and these, these issues about to buy it this way, to buy it that way. We're trying to discuss here that the OU gives out today, the other organizations also, that you should buy a coffee only in a restaurant that the, what they call a kiosk or a garage in the, one of the, the garages, but not, not to buy it from, uh, from a full-scale restaurant. Who is going to have the time to figure out is this a full-scale restaurant? Is this a kiosk? Would the OU permit it, not permit it? That's so confusing for, for kids, for adults. It's not the way to go. In our day and age, we have to be a little bit more limited. And the reason why is because we have the kids get confused and because we have alternatives. We're not living in a time where the only place you could get a coffee was a tray for restaurant or Howard Johnson. We're living in a time where you have in our communities, we have plenty of from stores owned by from people. We have plenty of people, plenty of stores that have a good ashkafa. We don't have to go and put ourselves in that confusing area, in that gray area, and say, I did it right. But you may have done it right, but who knows what the other person thought when they saw you do it. This is a different world today, and we really have to adjust to that. Yeah, uh, and you know, this is going to continue to, uh, I'm just going to continue to pounding on this because maybe this rabbi that go to the to the, to the the restaurant who went to the bathroom or used, right. uh, you know, so you assumption that my rabbi already bought the, this this coffee and this uh, uh, Dunkin' Donuts, all this stuff that... Uh, maybe they never did. Maybe they never did, you know, but I see it. You know, that's what I'm saying, that I'm talking with these kids and it's very, Bemet, it's a very painful to see that the reaction. Oh, what are you talking about? You know, all my rabbis, all my friends going from here, all this, you know, and it's mixing. Uh, so I, this is what I'm calling to all of us, all, all of ourselves, you know, just to be more cautious, cautious, you know. It's for us as a family, we've talked about it a few times, and it's for the rabbis in particular to be very careful about what image they're giving out because it is very confusing if you see a rabbi. And a rabbi might do something that is 100% kosher. In this case, maybe even even didn't even eat anything. And 100% kosher, but it could be misleading. And in this day and age, one has to be careful. I There was a, a, a gentleman, uh, I don't think he's around anymore, he's in Ashkafas, and he told me that well, he has a big problem when he gets invited to a simple. Because if he goes to the hasana, to the uh, uh, to the actual wedding, no problem. I'm in. He'll sit there, whatever it is. People don't expect that he's necessarily eating. But if he can't go into the uh, into the meal, he says, unless he could eat there 100%. Because people looked at him and they said, oh, he's here. You could eat. So uh, many times that's that's what happens. And, and all of us really have that kind of responsibility. So there's a halachas of 
of Marisai. True. And you can't manufacture your own Marisai. But I say we're living in an age where people have to be concerned about what they're doing to others and their own children get very confused. Even the spouses get confused. So it's definitely something where you have to be it's a different age. And it's Akshwadora. It's a special age where we have a lot of things available to us. We have the best filaments that ever existed. We have, you know, beautiful Esrogim. Uh, uh, we have a different world today. And therefore, in our time, it's really important to be a little bit more limited. Before we uh, go on, I want to just to give out the telephone number again, if anybody would like to call us, 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or you can text us at 347-927-8398. And before we go on with anything else, I'd like to say a few words about our sponsor, Glotmart. Glotmart is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. And at Glotmart, you can think of convenience and quality and the price. And uh, it, it, it's a really a wonderful experience going there because you know you're in good hands. These are people that put 35 years into serving the Flatbush Jewish community. And Glotmart, there are specials on running from Wednesday to Tuesday. I don't have the prices here today, but we'll hope to have next week some of the prices. Uh, you can get you can get it on what's on sale. W a t s o n s a l e. What's on sale dot com has a lot more prices listed over there, or their website glotmart.com. and they also deliver. So it's a great opportunity if you don't live in this area, you want some of the quality food that they make over there. In today's world, uh, it's everything is the is fresh, uh, important, and uh, new items are important. In Glotmart. The meat is fresh. It's produced there. Uh, they don't do the shrita, but they get it right after the shrita. There's no frozen meats. There's nothing imported from other countries. It's fresh meat that's processed there in the store. Also, you you know that you're getting uh, quality kashras because the meats are, are A1. They have both the hashgacha of the star K and the vada kashras of flapush. At mashgiach tamidi, on all of the production of the meats. They have also there uh, a, uh, a lot of salads and other things that are made on the premises. Fresh, fresh, fresh. And constantly new items are coming out. Very, very high quality. And as I said, fresh. None of this, uh, we're buying from this salad company with preservatives. No, it's made there fresh. Soups, salads, etc. So it's a great opportunity shopping in Glotmart. Glotmart is conveniently located at 1205 Avenue M. You come in from the East 12th Street entrance. You can use their valet parking service and pick up all the wonderful items you purchase in the store. And, it, and uh, if you go to Glotmart, you see Dover Glotmart, tell them you heard about Glotmart over J-Root Radio on the Cautious on the Air show. And now we'll go back to uh, discussing some issues I said Nissen brought up the question of being of going to the stores in the local area. That's an interesting question. We've discussed it many times. One of the things that I get asked a lot, and this is something related, and it's something that we do have to address, is what happens when there is a mix-up. Not not talking about milk inflation. That's an interesting topic in itself. But I'm talking about where 
you use something in preparation of the food and it isn't what you normally use. You brought something into the house and bringing it back to the store is a tremendous tircha. We're going to have snow on the ground in a few months. I don't hope not, but we will have it anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be a, a real tircha. If you bought something, you slept at home, and now you're going to have to go back to a store, which could be even far away. I mean, that's a tircha involved in that. What happens next? So there are two aspects of this that I'd like to focus on. One is um, we have to be concerned about what people say in our home and those who come to visit us. In our home, we have the children and other people in the work, work in the house, etc. And then we have people who come to visit and, and eat in our house. And it it's, could be very confusing if they see that you're taking in a product, you're using a product, which they don't expect that you're going to be using. They feel it's not appropriate for you. So maybe halakhically it's kosher, but do you want people seeing you using that company or that product? That's a different issue. That's, but something you have to think about. It's related to what we talked about before. And another thing is the question of you made something already. You cooked, uh, you made the cake, you cooked the meat, etc., etc. What do you do now? So then this is a, a different level. This is called Bidiyevit. This is after the fact. Taking the thing back to the store, it's a tircha. In some cases, we won't bother you. In some cases, we would bother you. It depends upon the exact topic, exact, exact product that you bought. But the, as far as you made the cake, you cooked the meat, there isn't a choice anymore. It's either you use it or you, you can't use it. So if you can't use it, you're going to lose it. And that's called bidiyevit. Bidiyevit means, after the fact, something which, if I don't give you permission to use it, you lose it. That's the bidiyevit. Not just, uh, you know, don't use it today, do something, doctor it up or something. No, I have to either use it or lose it. That is called bidiyevit. So on such a situation, we're very liberal. The way by Rebbe Zatzal taught, we're going to refine it slightly. My Rebbe Zatzal taught, what Rosh he taught us that when it's a B'diyevedika situation, then don't be so mocked on the Hashkocha. If it's a, you know, we're talking about Orthodox rabbi, somebody who has some kind of uh, sophistication, he's not a faker, he's an honest person, somebody, you wouldn't use him for whatever reason. You wouldn't use this Hashkocha for whatever reason. But, it's in the game. So such a thing in a B'diyevitika situation, especially if it's not just meat or milchiks in Israel, one of these kind of things, it's not one of those issues that you're that you have to follow all the way through, but it's something which is quality of Ashkotha. So you, why don't you use it all the time? Because you're machmir, you're concerned, you're nervous, you, 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 you want to get the best, you're trying to be, trying to be mahader, you want Akshuradara, we're living in a generation where it's available, I can try to get a better quality. Okay, that's why you're doing it. You're not using that thing because you hold the other, all the rest of it is not kosher. If you hold that that man is not kosher, the one that we, that produced this product on his Ashtacha, if you hold it's not kosher, then you wouldn't bother calling the rabbi. But if you have a situation 
where you would never use this product, but you put it into some food, and now you have it, so now we have to discuss that question. And what's interesting is that in some cases, we'll tell the person not to use that food. Sometimes we'll say to use that food. Sometimes we'll say not to finish using that package. In other cases, we'll say you can finish it and use it up, but not necessarily buy it in the future if you're Mahpinam. So this is the way we have to handle it. Now, how do we, how do we deal with that? I mean, again, every, whoever you're going to call is going to deal with it slightly differently. But the basics is we have to see what's in there. What's the chances of anything going wrong? I had a child just the other day, and uh, people had used something in, in the food, and it was a question of what would, they, what would you say about this particular product. So I explained to the gentleman that uh, the hashkacha is just as he said, something that I think was smart for him not to use on a regular basis. But in this particular food, based upon what we see, it doesn't seem to be such a concern, and I, didn't, and I told him he could use it up as long as he has for that time in the house. But in the future, he should follow his general pattern of not buying that mashkacha. And that's, that's a legitimate way of dealing with a child that comes up. Now, we have um, a few, a few uh, emails that came in. They texting. I'm going to put this closer because some people said they, they texted me that they can hardly speak, hardly hear me speaking. So they asked me to speak louder into the mic. So I, maybe you're not going to see me properly <laughs> so we so well over the uh, the monitor, but uh, we can't help that. So the other question I have here is, I've been told that Mazdona's bread is a misnomer because we need to wash and bench when eating rolls, etc. The meal is this so? Um, then this is part of a question I can't read. So the question they're asking is about Mazzona's bread. Now Mazzona's bread has gone through a, a few lifetimes. The old Mazzona's bread, the old Mazzona's bread, when I started in the Kashrus field, was not really Mazzona's. It was really Hamotzi's. And people called it Mazzona's because they wanted to sell it as Mazzona's bread so people could use it for breakfast and they, uh, whatever it is, not have to wash and bench. And it was done in a very inappropriate way. That was the way it was when I entered into the field. They weren't using very much juice. They were putting a little bit in, and they were watering it down with water. And, then, and, and really, it was just a fake. In some places, it, was, it went so far as that they didn't use it at all. They claimed they had uh, apple juice inside, and they could not produce when people came in to check. One person came in, I don't particularly remember, I remember who it was, I remember him going in there, and he checked on a certain place, and they told him, show me your apple juice. Oh, we threw it out. We used it, and then we threw out the containers. But let me show me in the garbage. They could not produce it. There was no apple juice, even though apple juice was listed on the ingredients. That was the way it was a bunch of years ago. Then somebody entered the field, and this fellow was very from and responsible. So he threw in a tremendous amount of apple juice because his robotum told him you have to use this and that much man. And he threw in tons of apple juice. The stuff was so sweet and the people didn't want to buy it. So that's, so that's what happened when he went honest. 
Subsequently, a lot of the organizations are in control of the apple juice claim and the, 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 the Mizona's claim, and maybe they are doing the right thing. I can't tell you. My Rebbe, personally, was not approving of the whole app, the whole Mizona's bread business because he felt that when you, he, his shita was that when you reconstitute apple juice with water, then you don't look at it as all apple juice. You have to call the water as water. And therefore, it doesn't necessarily, you wouldn't have enough apple juice to make it. There's a machlaikas between the machaba and the ramon. The machaba holds that you have to have a, uh, a slight taste difference, and the ramon holds you have to have a very serious difference in the taste of the, of the, of the bread. It should really taste very different than regular bread. Whatever that machlokas is, because we can never figure it out what is a lot, what is a little. Whatever that is, it was established a certain amount would be, let's say, Mizona's bread. But most times, you take Mizona's bread, you can't tell the difference between regular bread and Mizona's bread. And therefore, it's a big question mark if that is really Mizona's or not. And it, it's uh, unfortunately not clear you know, who's doing the right thing and who's not doing the right thing. And that's something that you really discuss with your own rabbanu. So it's not that mis, it's not that mizonas bread is a misnomer, and you have to watch and, and bench if you eat those. But when you eat that as bread, as like bread in a meal, in a way that you eat it together with other foods, so Rav Moshe Feinstein said, according to the Mefarshim and the Shulchan Aruch, that you that you have to then wash and bench. So if you took mizonas bread. And you took, let's say, two pieces of Mizona's bread. And you ate it like you eat bread in a meal. And you ate a full meal. So then you have to wash and bench. Because what you did is you used it as uh, bread. In your meal, that was the bread. So even though it is technically Mizona's, you, it, you used it and you now have to wash and bench. That's what some whole others hold. Not that way, but that's basically what Moshe said. And that's the issue that you're raising. So yes, my Rebbe was very mocked on that, and he says, "Yeah, plain Mazonas bread by itself, then and really it's really Mazonas bread, then the brach is Mazonas. But if you're making, a, if you're going to go ahead and you're going to uh, use it to put a, even a sandwich, he held, you have to wash and bench. Want to just end off a little bit with this topic? I can't get into all of it now. Somebody else called in. Uh, part of it has to do with this whole thing about pizza, which I'm not going to discuss right now." However, the Mizonos bread story, it, it, it doesn't end with this because there are, not only is it used in, in that way, but again, first of all, let's start from square one. A, is it really Mizonos? That's a question. So then you have to know how you're using it. If you eat it by, separately by itself, then the brach is Mizonos. When you eat it with other foods, especially as a, a part of a meal, then you should really wash and bench. There is an alternative, which you could do in your own. And I wrote about this. I don't want to tell you how many years ago, but it is more than 35 years ago I wrote about it. It is that you could make shahakol bread. Shahakol breads are using other kinds of grains, and they very much came into uh, uh, interest today. A lot of people are using other grains. Now, not mixed together with, with wheat, but if you use really other grains, then the bracha is mostly, I mean, could be, 
could be sometimes Adamo or Amazonas, but usually those breads are Chihako breads. You can find a list of these in any uh, secular uh, bread book, and you can discuss it with your Rav, and he'll analyze, or she'll analyze, he'll analyze, so he'll analyze uh, or he'll, he'll show you uh, the uh, what it says in terms of you know, the, the, the amounts of different ingredients and he'll decide what the bracha should be. But in many of those breads where you're not using wheat or, or rye or the five grains, in many of those breads, and there are many, many you can make, they, most of them are shahaka. And then you avoid this whole shahaka completely. You don't have any problems at all. But that's you making itself. I haven't seen shahaka breads being sold popularly. Anyway, we got a caller. Go ahead. You're on Kashmir Sandia. Can we help you? Yeah, um, I'm just wondering, how do you kosher microwave? You can't. As far as we can. We hold you that, that's that, Again, let, let me just uh, state clearly. My Rebbe, Ravashazim and Zatzal, held 100% you can't kosher a microwave. He would just throw them out. If you, if it really became trite, again, we have to see maybe it didn't really become trite. That's that's the discussion you have to have uh, with your Rav about uh, whether it became trite. Others told you just put a, a glass of water in and uh, turn it on, and the, the water will somehow uh, evaporate. And as it does, it will kosher the, uh, the, 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 the microwave area. Uh, I don't, we don't describe that. Okay. All right. I mean, that's a good discuss with your own rub. But uh, first, find out really, a lot of times the answer is you didn't make a trade. So that's the, that's the first thing to find out. And then the rub will tell you what to do about it. If he feels you have to catch it, he can catch it. That's his decision. Okay? Okay. Thank you for calling. Somebody asked here, can I put a pan from dairy or from a tray burner directly into a dairy oven? Uh, making making baked ziti. So now, uh, baked ziti is usually with uh, cheese in it. So it's not just a pan from a dairy or burner. Into a dairy oven. Uh, I don't know why. Why can can a dairy burn it with in dairy oven? I don't understand the question. No, no, no. Question like this. Uh, what I understand? It okay, okay. I was it's okay. That uh, she basically cre- uh, starting bake a prepare baked ziti, and this is is she fried it on on the pan, on a tray fire. Okay, and then she want to put it in a my in in an oven. Of uh, dairy. Okay. So I don't know what a tray fire is. Let's, let's go over quickly the stove top. Technically, the stove top is conjured every time you use it. So it really is starting from scratch. Uh, it's so hot. That is Liban Gummer. That is no question that it burns out. Uh, how would we conjure a stove top? Let's do gas uh, because electric is a little different, a little more challenging. But let's say plain gas, we would put a blech on top. So what's the difference if I put a blech on top or I put this pot on top? To say, well, it's cooking inside. So maybe I got it absorbed from the, you know, something came in it. No, nothing goes through. If there's no liquid on the grate, on top of the the stovetop, the grate, if there's no liquid on it, 
and it touches your path, then it can't make a trade. So let's go back a second. When I have a one, I only have a few burners. I have milkers and flashes on the same stove top. So I'm, I, I can't always be careful to uh, use only the, this, the left side for milk and the right side for flachics. Or I made a mistake and I moved the, and I used the wrong side. So what's the, what's the issue? The issue is the burner was trafe, but the burner is not really functionally trafe because A, the burner, if it's clean, if there's no N on there, there's no actual uh, pieces of meat or leftover residue of food on there, and it's not wet, so then the burner is no different than a pan, that a, a pot. So two pots that touch each other. One is kosher and one is tray. One is cooking kosher and one is cooking tray. Not just milk in the place. One is cooking kosher, one is cooking tray. One is cooking milkics, one is cooking flachics. And the two pots touch each other on the outside. And there's no liquid in between them. They're both kosher. Nothing happened. So nothing happened from the stove top to the pan. It didn't, it doesn't register. Nothing happened there. Not only that, but whatever status you're going to call it, you've kashered it by having the pan there while you turn the fire was on. So when the fire was on, you actually kashered the pot, uh, you kashered the stove top. So now we really have nothing to worry about. So I don't know, that's, that's how I would approach that question. I don't know not the big ZD part, but whatever it is, this is what this is how you deal with the stovetop. That's the the previous uh, person who wrote to us said um, about the misnomer. They said, "Can we impress upon the Ashkafas not to allow it to be labeled as such?" Well, that's an interesting question. It's got this has got to do with the uh, with the issue of what is the responsibility of the Hashkocha agency. Do they have the responsibility to make sure that you're not mis, you know, misusing this thing as Mizona's bread? That really leads us to an entire situation of labeling in general. Um, does Do the Kashrus agencies take full responsibility for the claims of Mizono's Shahakol with a bracha to be made? In general, I would say no. In one particular case, in the last couple of months, one of the major conscious agencies, it's actually, I don't want to give details away, put out a public statement that even though it says on the packages of certain foods that they are Mizonos or whatever, there's a certain bracha, the conscious agency holds that that's the wrong bracha, which I was very impressed by that. That means they are concerned about the fact that the, a claim is made on the packaging and they don't agree with it. So that's a wonderful thing. That's a step in the right direction. I don't think that many conscious agencies would have made that move. It's a very, very important move to make. I don't know if they're right or wrong, or the, whether the, the company, why they said maybe there's another Rabbanamon. I don't know how it ended up to be this way. But yes, it's really appropriate for the conscious agency to be behind the claim Mizonas or Shock or whatever the brother. To claim it's Mizonas bread, I can claim it's Mizonas bread because you could eat it by itself. I'm going to just tell you a quick story. Somebody that I like very much, who's been involved in Kashrus before I even thought of it, and he was eating a, uh, a piece of, he was eating Mizono's uh, matzah. 
the matzah was mizonos. So I told him, you know, it could really be mizonos if, if you claim it is, you know, it's responsible on the packaging. It could really be mizonos. I said, but you can't, you know, Rav Zimmin said, you got to be careful. And Rav Moshe said, you got to be careful not to use other foods. He said, I only eat the mizonos matzah by itself. He only eats the mizonos matzah by itself. Now, the Svadim hold that the, the bracha is mizonos all year. So Ashkenazim hold that the bracha is hamotzi. But this particular one was a mizonos matzah. So that the, everybody over the same page over here, we would definitely make a mizonos. So this gentleman says, I only eat it with nothing on it. So yes, I, you can't tell somebody not to claim it's mizonos. You can't tell them to go ahead and stop that business. If somebody wants that as a nosh, and he should know the proper bracha, I don't see anything wrong with it. Whether they mislabel it as mizonos and it really is hamotzi because there was the wrong amount of orange, apple juice, that's a different issue. But if it's properly made as mizonos, I see nothing wrong in, in, in calling it mizonos bread. However, I think it would be nice if Rabbanim in general would teach the halakha. I think you're 100% right, and I think that this is issue by this Faradim is we going by the taste. Taste. They don't want it. They don't want to sit in what bench. They don't want to sit down in what. Yeah, yeah. We have a caller. Okay, you're on. You're on. Kashrus on the air. Can we help you? Go ahead. You're on the air. It's disconnected. Disconnected. Okay. So if you want to call back, 718-683-5858. We have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, in in general, the question of, uh, let's say, this this issue about the, well, I think Mizona's bread is something we could stay on one more minute. The the big, big problem is with the uh, pizza. Now, pizza, I'm not going to go into the whole topic, but I tell you that from the earlier days, because I'm going back to that earlier time when it was a little bit new, new a lot of these things were more new. Uh, the the, uh, and the, and the in the earlier days, so the question was, what bracha do you make on pizza? So Rav Moshe Feinstein did experimentation, and he asked different, uh, they asked different uh, stores what the average person bought, and they came up with the decision that one piece was Mizonos, two pieces was a Shila, which means you, he couldn't answer. Moshe Feinstein could not decide what to do. He thought maybe it's Mozi, maybe it's Mizonos. And three, you could definitely call it Mozi, because then that's like eating a lot of bread, a lot, a lot of Mizonos together. At a certain point, you're have to wash and bench anyway, even if it's Mizonos. But that machlokes, that, that 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 split. I'm sorry, not machlokes. That that split was not clear. He said two was a shiloh. So if he's telling with the shiloh, you're not allowed to do it. You got to do something. 
I got to eat some other bread with it. So this person sitting down to two pieces of pizza and some bread. I mean, that's a lot of eating. In today's world, they also throw in a few more things that they have at the pizza store. It's a lot of eating. But anyway, that was the decision that he made. However, the Debrat Sinarov, my Rebbe Zatzal, Rav and a number of other people held the appropriate brach for pizzas hamotza. And in reality, it is hamotzi for a very simple reason. That doesn't taste like uh, cake. It tastes like bread. And if it would taste like cake, you wouldn't buy it. And that's the, that's the bottom line. So I, my Rav Zimmer Zatzal and Rav Debatina held the brach is hamotza. I asked Rav David Feinstein 30 years ago this question. 30 years ago, it was just guess. I don't know when it was. I, I asked him this shot. I said, what happens if somebody hands you a piece of the end of the pizza? Okay? You're sitting there, he's eating the pizza, and he doesn't want to eat the crust. Are you eating only the crust? What bracha is it? And with David Feinstein told me, the bracha is hamotza. So this is interesting, and you have to get it clear in your head. The whole pizza, the piece of pizza, he said to make mizonos. But the piece that's only bread is mahamotzi. So it wasn't that they're using mizonos pizza or whatever. No, they were making a snack food. The Rav Moshe said it's a snack food. The average person goes and buys one piece and a couple of things, oh, whatever, it's an ice cream, whatever it is, it's a snack. And therefore, it's Mizonos. It wasn't made to be Koveat Su'uda. But if you eat the end of it, the bracha is Hamotzi because it is bread. Okay? Now, the, the worst problem is with the frozen pizzas. Because the frozen pizzas are very often made that they make the pizza dough separately, and then they put the cheese on. Sometimes the cheese isn't even baked on, baked on. So a lot of times, it's really hamotzi, hamotzi, hamotzi. And yet people should ask their own rub specifically this question of what bracha to make on pizza in the store, what bracha to make on pizza in the, from the packaging. And, and, and they'd be surprised to find out that there are differences in, 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 uh, in t- some of the different companies, how they produce it. And, so, and whether they cooked it on or they didn't cook it on, and uh, and you have to discuss the entire issue with your own rub. I see we ran out of time. So uh, until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kachos Magazine. If you have any interest in our in getting subscription to the magazine, if you have any questions about Kachos, you can reach us at 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544, or else you can... Uh, email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And if you do come to Kosher Fest the next two days, stop by and say hello. We're at booth 743 